Hi, this is Angie from Nocturne Studios. Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to raise awareness for an advocacy organization the Night Shift Podcast is supporting, Equality Texas. Trans youth and their families in the state of Texas are currently battling increased government control imposed on their gender-affirming care. To support and donate to the combating of discriminatory policies against trans and queer folk in Texas, please visit EqualityTexas.org. Thank you. Unsolved disappearances, runaways, kidnappings, magical anomalies in the veil. Each year in the United States, more than 600,000 people of all ages go missing. Experts say there's a critical time frame of just 72 hours to find someone when they disappear, after which the integrity of evidence breaks down and the number of leads rapidly drop. Ecor City alone has more than 50 missing persons cold cases from the last two decades. How is it possible for so many people to vanish in one place? What makes it so easy to disappear here, and why can't they be found? Join us as we delve into the mysteries and stories of Ecor and the people who inhabit it. I'm Sebastian Fenn. And I'm Adair North. Welcome back to the Night Shift Podcast. Life's too short to get it North is going to be joining me for today's episode as we cover two chilling cases of unsolved disappearances in Ecuador. You bet I am. True crime is my jam, my bread and butter. <laughs> but before we get into it, you should probably address what happened at the end of last episode. It's got to mean that he's innocent, right? Charles Delaney was framed? Or there's a copycat killer somehow? <laughs> it can't be a coincidence. And why the hell didn't this make it into the news? I knew there was more to this story. I've got more digging. I've got more digging to do. I'll see what I can find out until next time. I was pretty delirious when I recorded that final clip. The episode was ready to go when I found the coroner's report. I just shoved it in there. If you don't like it, you can fight me. More importantly, I'm going to follow up today on that extra victim I found that seems connected to the Charles Delaney case. Should it really be called the Delaney case anymore if it probably wasn't him? That's your angle, right? I don't know. Maybe it should be the mutation murders. The bank account butchery. Case of the mysterious lung juice. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if they've got the wrong guy behind bars, they can't be allowed to get away with it. But in the meantime, I've chosen some of my favorite unsolved stories to cover. First up, the disappearance of Vanessa Alvarez. I don't know this case well. Tell me about her. She was a local girl who grew up in Ecuador City. 
and she vanished in broad daylight. Her family got these freaky phone calls afterwards, from the government and stuff. To this day, no one has any idea what happened to her. So this case is still entirely unsolved. Unsolved for now, until we solve it. If you're local, you may have heard of this one. It was covered when it happened by Jenny Holt on the show Equor Declassified, a televised report produced by The Chronicle that provides a critical view on local events. July 3rd, 2015. 17-year-old Vanessa Alvarez leaves her parents' waterside home in the early afternoon to meet with friends at the Toluca Mall. Vanessa's mother, strict on who she spends time alone with, insists she calls by 9 p.m. to be picked up. She would never make that call. The teen was reported missing just after midnight. The following day, her friends confessed that they were covering for Vanessa to meet with a secret boyfriend, parting ways not long after they arrived at the mall. Security footage backed up their story. Vanessa is seen waiting for 15 minutes, using her phone at frequent intervals to text and attempt calls. When she finally connects, she leaves the mall entirely with a smile on her face, heading south on Toluca Boardwalk, before vanishing on a blind spot between two CCTV cameras. Vanessa was never seen again. It's weird, right? I'm assuming that the first theory was that the guy she went to meet had ill intentions, abducted her. That's immediately where my mind went. Yours and everyone else's. The police had a suspect, but he was still a minor, so his identity was kept secret. Two days after she was last seen, police found her cell phone sat under a bench near the San Marino beach. There was an unsent message on her phone to our mom saying not to be mad, that she'd be home later than they agreed, and... There was a photo of her. I'm speaking with Vanessa's older brother, Diego. The photograph he's referring to was taken on Vanessa's cell at sunset, seemingly by someone other than herself. The Ecker City Police failed to find any fingerprints on the device, which later disappeared from the evidence locker. The thing is, with an unsent message, you can't work out when it was typed or who typed it. If someone else took her photo, why avoid the cameras? Especially if they were just going somewhere nearby. Except were they nearby? Was the photo even real? And I know the cops are incompetent, but losing evidence in an already strange situation, it all seems suspicious to me. Like, there's something else going on, something unsavory with the authorities. Like the spooky government phone calls. Well, that's something else. You mentioned that before, but it's not in the declassified report. I can't find anything online. All I found was this one hustle thread where someone mentions the phone calls. But it was on the news when it happened. I remember it. How, how is that possible? The story is just gone? It's gone. Mm-mm. That is... that's too creepy. <laughs> I am never going outside again. Hey Justin, is there any chance of an advance on my next paycheck? How much do you need? 150 bucks. Sure, sure. I can do that. What do you need it for? Uh, I need to go to Benton County. And I need to pay the sheriff's department for something. For God's sake, Sebastian, what did you do this time? I'm on the ferry making my way to the southern end of Lake Ecor, to a town called Dayport. That mysterious fourth victim of Charles Delaney was in the jurisdiction of Benton County Sheriff's Department. 
I put in a request for open records. Obviously there's fees and I couldn't afford all of them, but from the information I got, I've managed to find somebody willing to talk. A park ranger who remembers the body being found. The lake is serene. The sun is shining and I can make out distant shapes of other boats. People enjoying the first sunshine of spring. It's hard to picture the same lake teeming with police after finding Kalo Tanner's body. But the water is dark and the lake goes a long, long way down. There's rumors of monsters lurking below the surface, waiting to prey on unexpected fishermen and swimmers. Makes you wonder how many other secrets this water holds. Well, this is the spot. This is where the body washed up? That's right. I'm speaking with Benjamin Shaw, a park ranger in Benton County. We're about two miles out of Dayport on a hiking route that runs along the river, right at the state border. Shaw's been working the trails for a little over six years, so he was a rookie at the time the body was found. Who reported it? It was a couple of joggers who used the same path every day. So the body must have only just washed up when they found it, right? Would it be easy for a body to float here all the way from the lake? Not that easy, but possible. Back where we entered the park, the river at that part is, uh, pretty fast. It would have been a rough ride through the rocks. People drown there sometimes, and they don't come back up looking pretty. Do you think it could have been dumped here instead, then? The coroner's report said it had been in the water for a while, but... These trails are pretty frequented. See all these tracks? People pass by here all through the day. And how easy would it be to get here in the middle of the night? I mean, it's a national park. There's no gates. Someone could carry a body out here and dump it. It's not a nice thought, but it's possible. Is there anything else that stood out to you that you can remember? No, yeah. I assume you're talking about all that freaky stuff. Uh, freaky stuff? The symbols, all that, all up the arms. I had no idea what Shaw was talking about. It wasn't referenced in the coroner's report, at least not the part I found, but he explained that the victim's body was covered in something that looked like tattoos. From his explanation, I gathered that he was talking maybe about something occult? Magic symbols, the sort that would be associated with centuries-old spells or even something demonic. Shaw couldn't say. We tracked the river back to Dayport, off the footpath, and Shaw's right. Not only is it rough, but there are areas where it's so shallow and rocky that anything organic would probably get pretty shredded up. I think there's a real chance this fourth body was dumped all the way out here on purpose. What if someone didn't want it found, didn't want it connected to Delaney's case, proving his innocence? And what about these occult tattoos? Is it some kind of escalation on the previous cases, or is it just a creepy coincidence? I wish I could see a picture of what they were so I could look into them. I tried the coroner's office, but they've turned down my request for an interview. No surprises there. If magic was involved with any of this, that changes everything. Speaking of magic, though, for now let's get back to North and the unsolved disappearances. 911, what's your emergency? It's my neighbor. She's... I don't know. There's a lot of blood. There's blood everywhere. Okay, sir. Can you tell me your location? 
Aspen Drive, Orella Heights. Can you tell me your neighbor's name? Molly Parker. Is she breathing? I don't know. I, I don't know where she is. She's gone. The second story I want to cover is the mystery of Molly Parker. There was so much blood when she disappeared that there is no way that Molly wasn't murdered, but her body still hasn't been found 16 years later and all signs point to magic. Strap in everyone, it's going to be a wild ride. Go for it. A quiet night on a picturesque cul-de-sac in the desirable suburb of Arela Heights. The last night that Molly Parker was ever seen alive. Molly seemed like your average middle-class divorcee. No one on Aspen Drive had any idea that she had a dark and twisted secret. Unbeknownst to her neighbors, most of Parker's money came from smuggling. Stolen artwork, illegal imports, and counterfeit goods all passed through Molly's hands. She was a confident woman who apparently rode the high of living a double life. But something must have gone very wrong. I saw Molly around 3 p.m. at the grocery store. She was very strange that day, very jumpy, looking over her shoulder, the slightest sound. That's Karen Hughes, Molly's neighbor, in a statement made to investigators. It was Karen's husband, Leroy, who discovered Molly missing when he noticed a trail of blood on her porch the next morning. When the police arrived, there was no trace of Molly except for the blood itself. They said it was as if someone had tried to paint her walls with it. There was blood everywhere. Enough to make some people think that she just spontaneously combusted. But further investigation led to an even more alarming conclusion. There was a strange scent in the air, like ozone mixed with all the iron. Crime scene analysts discovered evidence that Molly had been keeping some kind of arcane artifact in her basement. Probably to smuggle it elsewhere, there was residual energy all through the lower floors of the house. But whatever had caused it was gone. One theory is that whatever the artifact was, it was cursed. It caused her to explode. Although, there wouldn't be blood on the porch if that was the case. Another is that with all of her illicit activities, Molly screwed over someone dangerous. It would explain how on edge she was at the store. <gasps> Maybe this was a mob hit. Could definitely have been a mob hit. Apparently, organized crime is responsible for over a million deaths worldwide in the past two decades. If they can analyze those figures, the police know it was organized crime somehow, but they just don't do anything about it. They don't. The mob line their pockets to turn the other way, even cover it up. One of the many issues with so much of the documentation being destroyed during the Quell is not only that we're left with incomplete information about dangerous magical artifacts, we're also left with little idea of just how many of them are out there. We piece together what we can, but often there is nothing to piece together. I'm speaking with historian and author Heather Duran from Ecuador University, the woman behind the best-selling Arcana Obscurus. Her book explores the Quell, the anti-diabolist movement of the 19th century that saw so many magical relics and texts destroyed and thousands persecuted for practicing dark magic. Duran is as close as it comes to an expert on arcane artifacts. I'm hoping she can shed some light on the trade of illegal relics and the dangers they pose to make more sense of Molly Parker's disappearance. I know exact figures are difficult, but roughly how many artifacts are thought to have survived the quell? More than people seem to think. Texts and grimoires were easily burned, but artifacts were often intentionally hidden because they couldn't be destroyed. 
Not only that, many were damaged or broken into pieces which left them extremely volatile. That makes sense. Would you say damaged artifacts are more dangerous overall? I'm looking into the story of a woman who was smuggling artifacts through Ecru City. There's a chance whatever she came in contact with caused her to disappear. Not necessarily more dangerous, but they can be. There's a higher chance of something going wrong. Intact artifacts, generally speaking, usually have to be activated somehow by the user, but damaged artifacts lack those safeguards. They can be very unstable. Gotcha. So there's a higher chance of an accident if something powerful is broken. Precisely. If someone was in possession of... Actually, I don't know if it was a broken artifact or not, but say it was. If they disappeared, and all that was left behind was a lot of blood, is there any chance the artifact could be responsible? Yes, but it's a broad yes. It'd be very hard to identify a particular artifact behind something like that unless we had a pre-existing record of it. And as you know, there aren't many of those. It is one hell of a shame. All that history destroyed because a handful of diehards got in a huff about a few warlocks? <laughs> There's a little more to it than that, and it was a darn sight more than a handful of them. It may have started with fanatics, but the quell lasted 18 years. Practicing magic was outlawed in most parts of the Western world for a very long time, and so many were persecuted in that time. We came very close to magic being criminalized forever. I know, I know. I just don't want to validate their actions by talking about them like they're important. You never change, do you, Sebastian? I like to think I stand by what I believe in, even if it's pointless. <laughs> <laughs> okay, important question. Is smuggling a big problem in the world of arcane artifacts? It is, very much. There are a few different groups who regularly purchase these artifacts. Museums, academic institutions, or private collectors, and of course those who wish to use them. Moving documented relics around the world is a lengthy and complex bureaucratic process, but more often than not, it's the undocumented ones that end up on the black market, in the hands of the wrong people. Is there anything that could be done to stop that? All we can do is keep documenting whatever we can find. It's a giant puzzle with a lot of missing pieces, but we can at least make the world a little safer by keeping records of what we do know. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me, Heather. Of course. I'm always happy to talk to you. And always looking for a chance to teach, naturally. Actually, I read your book a couple of months ago. You did? Yeah. Well, I mean, Lisa insisted. But it was actually really captivating. I couldn't put it down. <laughs> that sounds more like you. Say hi to your aunt for me, won't you? Before I continue my investigations with North, I promised an update last week on my latest news about the alpha drug Hunter. I've been waiting to hear back from someone on Hustle who said they'd used it before to find out what it was like. The next voice you're going to hear belongs to someone we're only going to call Smith. It's taken a while to convince them to speak for the show considering how questionable a substance Hunter is. I asked if they could record exactly what they emailed me so you could hear it in their own words. Taking Hunter? was unlike anything I've ever experienced. It felt like cold fire in my veins. Every movement I made was weightless, and the desire to find an outlet for all that power was so strong I could barely think about anything else. I swear I felt invulnerable, completely untouchable. The, the, the 
side effects were a lot, even if the power felt incredible. I didn't feel anything until it started to wear off, but then it hit me. Sweats and aches, unlike anything I'd experienced before. I felt aggressive and angry. It, it took two people and a locked door to convince me not to take more, just to escape the come down. Would I say it was worth it? Almost definitely. Where else are you ever going to experience feeling like, like a god? It doesn't come cheap, but if I could afford to have that experience again, I'd give anything. I can't believe alphas just get to live like that. Maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but if you want me to hook you up, I'll see if I can get back in touch with the guy I bought it off. I didn't have to think twice before I accepted the offer. I know what you're thinking, but it's not technically illegal to buy it, because it's not classified as an illegal substance yet. Although it's definitely in discussion. In fact, the rumors have been enough of a sensation that Augur CEO Wesley Hastings recently spoke about it on TV. What are your biggest concerns about these rumors? I'll be honest with you. Our medical research team works fast. I don't want citizens losing sleep over rumors of bad side effects. We'll stay on top of any consequences before anyone can get seriously hurt. What I'm concerned about is the potential for abuse of unregulated powers. As I understand it, alpha powers are regulated by a government body. Human augmentation is all highly regulated. In fact, there's a registry. Next gens need to be monitored and supervised. Alphas are walking weapons, if you want to look at it that way, so there has to be rules in place. That's why Augur runs such a tight ship, and why we retain the only legal rights to these bioengineering processes. This is one of the very rare occasions that I agree with Wesley Hastings. Alphas are intimidating as hell already, but at least they operate to a code of conduct. Yeah, Justin? I don't know what you've done, but we've had three customers this week mention your lame podcast. Uh, thank you? It's a good thing. For now. Just don't let it get weird. I don't want any creeps in here taking advantage of North's generosity. Sure thing, boss man. Good morning. Welcome to Night Shift Coffee. Hi. Does, uh, Sebastian Fenn work here? How many damn time? <laughs> yep. Here he is. Hi. This might be a strange request. I've listened to your podcast, and I wanted to talk about some of the information you reported on. Oh, sure. Hang on, I just got off shift. Am I right in thinking that you're the host of Echor Declassified? <laughs> That's right. Jenny Holt with the Echor City Chronicle. Technically freelance, but I'm on their books. The Chronicle... You're the only local paper that's not state-owned or funded by Augur, right? That's us. What can I help you with? Any chance you're here to talk about Charles Delaney? Technically, yes. I'm here to talk about that. The Chronicle wants me to look into it and see if there's something worth writing about there. Technically. Well, I also wanted to know if there's anything else you can tell me about that ex-alpha that you didn't air. Not on record. Ah. If you're worried about what he might have against Augur... Worried is not the word I would use. Oh. Well, in that case, uh, let me just... Uh... Jenny Holt is an investigative journalist and the host of the show Echo Declassified. She's covered dozens of stories about crime and corruption, some solved and others still ongoing. 
She had a few questions about Wolf, some of which I couldn't answer and others that I can't answer here. However, I do have an update on that story that I can share. Last episode, I asked Wolf for proof that he was in the Alpha program like he claimed, and for anything else he could give me. As expected, he's tied up in NDAs, but he did provide a couple of photographs and said I'm welcome to discuss them. I'm looking at a picture of a group of people dressed in grey and black tracksuits. Innocuous, but for the small and impossibly unsubtle auger logo. All of them seem soaked through, perhaps in sweat. Three with manic grins on their faces, and the other two looking ready to drop with exhaustion. A spattering of obvious bruises can be seen on exposed skin. This was after a successful session in Auger's aptitude tank. It's candid because we're not supposed to make personal records of any kind inside the program. Although everyone does. What's an aptitude tank? Unfortunately, I can't say without breaking non-disclosure. But completing it was a trial. And a whole unit making it through successfully in one session was unheard of. Were there many tests like this? <sighs> Plenty. It at least looks like you had a decent team. Who are these people? My training unit. The girl to the left is Parrish. She graduated top of the class. Totally unstoppable. The second photo features the same woman, this time riding on Wolf's shoulders. He's wearing a makeshift sign around his neck that says loser, and she is punching the air in victory. Parrish is a tall woman with dark skin and tight, bleach-blonde curls. She's beaming at the camera, and it's easy to see she's genuinely having a good time. I think I might have seen her before. Oh, that's Leah. I told you that she stops by for coffee sometimes. She's been part of Alpha for nearly... Four years, I think. So that puts this photo at maybe five years old? She looks so young here. I guess they have to start them young before they get old like you and start complaining about their achy bones and bad backs. When you're 28, you'll understand. Life is pain. Having a body, suffering. I don't need to be a dinosaur to understand that. Oh, oh, Sebi, I forgot to tell you. I found something out about Vanessa Alvarez. You're not going to believe it. Before we get to North's discovery, back to Jenny Holt. Because she'd covered it in an episode of Declassified, I took the opportunity to ask her about Vanessa's disappearance to see if she could tell me more. She could, and the story got heavier than anticipated. Fast. I remember it like it was yesterday. The photograph of her in front of the sunset was on all the front pages of the papers. Can you tell me about some of the theories that were going around about why and how she disappeared? There were loads. She was abducted taken by a rift, kidnapped by the government. Others say she simply ran away from a troubled home, that she chose to disappear so she could start a new life on her own. Investigators found suggestions of domestic violence from her stepfather. Holy crap, that's devastating. When nothing else was turning up, a lot of the news teams went after that angle. The Alvarez family were hounded day and night. Some people even accuse the family of being behind her disappearance, of murdering her and hiding the body somewhere. It pretty much destroyed them. Given how big this story is around here, how come you of all people don't know about it? It was huge news when it happened. It was seven years ago. But you've always lived in the area, right? You must have seen it on TV. Honestly, no. This sort of stuff used to freak me out. For a long time, I buried my head in the sand and avoided the news like the plague. Anyway, tell me about this discovery that you made. 
Oh my god, Seb, I found Vanessa's brother, Diego Alvarez. He still lives in Ecuador, and he's still looking for her. Damn, who's the detective now? <laughs> How'd you find him? It took some serious sleuthing. I found his Vita. It actually wasn't that hard. He posts about his sister all the time, although it doesn't reach a lot of people. I messaged him, but I didn't hear anything back. So, a dead end? Not at all. I found someone in the comments who knows him personally and told them all about your show. Here. They sent me this. My name is Cameron Archer. Uh, Diego Alvarez is a colleague of mine and a friend. His sister's disappearance and everything that happened after really wrecked his family, and Diego still looks for her everywhere he can. I've told him that you reached out to me, and he wants to talk in person. He says that, between the accusations and the phone calls, there's too much to write in a message. If you're happy for me to introduce you, just give me a shout. The phone calls were real. I, I knew it. You nailed this one, North. <laughs> I'll get in touch. See if I can't find out why all traces of those calls are gone. Just Cam is fine. It's nice to meet you, and thanks for agreeing to this. No, thank you, seriously, for sorting out this interview and being so helpful. I'm happy to do it. So, this is where Diego lives? Yeah, that's his window up there. Hey, Diego. It's Cam. I'm with the guy from the podcast. Can you buzz us up? Sure. Diego started working at the warehouse about a year ago. He mostly keeps to himself and keeps his head down. I think that sort of work suits him, you know, somewhere he can put on headphones and avoid people as much as possible. That sounds like my kind of job. It's a really good company. After a while, I noticed that even though he had his headphones in, he was still listening to what was happening around him. So I started talking to him whenever I had a moment, trying to extend an olive branch. That's when he told me about Vanessa. Something like that, it really stays with you. I'm not surprised he's hung up on it. Before we go in, you should know. Well, I was a little shocked the first time I saw his place. He spends most of his time looking for her, and he holds on to any scrap of news he can find. It still tears him up pretty bad, so keep that in mind, too. I'll go easy on the questions. When Diego led us into the apartment, it was immediately obvious that he was a paranoid man. He locked the door behind us on three separate locks. The main room was dimly lit and only partly furnished, all other available space taken up with news clippings, photographs, and scrawled notes. There were two dozen screenshots of the CCTV footage before Vanessa vanished, and pins all over a full-size map of the city. Diego Alvarez isn't just looking for his sister. He's looking everywhere. Where would you like to start? Do you want to tell me about Vanessa? Vanessa's my younger sister. I was 19 at the time she disappeared. She was so full of life. Confident, beautiful, passionate. Everyone who knew her was drawn to her like, like moss to a flame. What do you think happened to her? 
My parents are adamant that she was murdered, even though there's hardly any evidence to support that. I believe she was kidnapped. But as far as who was behind it... Is there anyone you suspect? The boyfriend, maybe? There is one man. Not her boyfriend. Here, take a look at this. Diego played a video for us, the same one the screenshots were from. It was footage from the CCTV cameras along the boardwalk, tracking Vanessa to the moment she disappeared. The footage is grainy, making facial features impossible to discern, but Vanessa is identifiable by the outfit she was wearing that day, seen in clearer footage from the mall. What are we looking for? Here, after she's left the frame. See this guy? He's there in every clip. Then in the last one, there. He appears in the camera after the last one she was seen on. After the place she disappeared. There's something strange about him. I can't put my finger on it. Like he's hearing something that we can't hear. Exactly. He was watching. You think he saw Vanessa? Or whatever happened to her. Do you know who he is? No. I've never found him. But if you could, he could tell you what he saw. What is that he's wearing? Is it some kind of uniform? As he's security, maybe? I thought that too, but I've been everywhere in the area that employs security. It's not mall security, or the docks, or, or any of the local shops. Private security, maybe. Interesting. What happened after that? I heard the investigation didn't go well for your family. It didn't. Our family were put through the ringer. Mom tried to keep it under wraps that her husband was violent. She didn't want the family being scrutinized, but it only made us look more suspicious and made it worse in the end when when the truth came out. Do you think there's a chance your stepfather had anything to do with the disappearance? Ex-stepfather. Right. Sorry. Yes, but I don't believe he's the one who kidnapped her. Okay, then how do you think he's connected? Are you okay, Diego? Mm, yeah. I think maybe trying to escape our home life, Vanessa got herself in a bad situation. But I don't know what. The police lost, supposedly lost her phone. We only found out when we requested it back from evidence. Anything that was on there. Those clues are gone forever. What about the final photo of her? The one in front of the sunset? I believe it was taken by whoever took her. So you believe it's real? Not a doctored photograph, I mean. I do. Do you think she was forced to pose for it? Sorry, if that's a hard question. No, it's it's a real photograph. She's smiling. You, you know, you know it's her real smile because you can see her back teeth. I know my sister's smile. I have this video of her from her birthday. The last one I have of her. Do you, do you want to see? Sure. Are you almost ready? Mama's starting to fuss about getting to the restaurant on time. Yeah, yeah. Almost done. Is everything okay? You seem a little frustrated. <sighs> Is this about your birthday? I know getting older can be scary, but you've got nothing to be afraid of, Vane. You're smart, you're beautiful, you're going to do great things with your life. Am I? I promise it. 
and one more year you can be out of this house having the time of your life at college. Everything will be better then. I promise. Do you ever think that there could be something else out there for you? What do you mean? That you're meant for something else. A different life. One with more purpose. Vane, come here. If you want a different life, you can make it happen. Purpose is found, not given. Follow your heart and it'll lead you the right way. Thank you. You have no idea how much that helps. Vanessa. Yeah, vamos, mama. You look great. Come on. It's going to be a fun night. She looks so happy. This was only a few weeks before she disappeared. I'm sorry this happened. I'm going to find out what happened, whatever it takes. In a few months, she'll be declared dead in absentia. There will be a funeral, an empty casket. I... I can't do that. Not without knowing. Last thing. Can you tell me about the phone calls? Why they disappeared from record? I don't know why they disappeared, but it had to be the government. Only they have that sort of power. Can you tell me what they were about? I can do better. I still have one of them. What you're about to hear is a phone call between Diego and, supposedly, someone from within the government. The first voice is Diego and Vanessa's mother. The recording is poor quality, having been recorded from a landline on a cell phone. Oh no, no, otra vez! Give me that. Hello? Who is this? This is Amy Taylor with the AIU Do you know where my sister is? What aren't you telling us? I am calling in regards to information about the Green Cottage. Green Cottage? What is that supposed to mean? Is that is that code for something? Is that where Vanessa is? I am not at liberty to discuss that, but if you have any information, it is vital we be informed as quickly as possible. I don't know what you're talking about. Isn't that obvious by now? Stop. Just stop harassing us if you can't tell us anything. Can't you tell this is hard enough on our family already? If you couldn't make that out, the caller identifies themselves as Agent Rayner with the AIU. I hadn't heard of the acronym, and Diego didn't know what it stood for. But after a significant amount of digging, I found a single suggestion that it stands for Anomaly Investigation Unit, a branch of the FBI. I haven't been able to confirm this. What's the Green Cottage? I still don't know. But I bet wherever it is... That's where I'll find Vane. It's dark already. You okay getting home? I'll be fine. I don't live far. Thank you again, Cam, for setting this up. That was more than I ever expected to get about this story. I just want to help where I can. If there's any chance of finding Vanessa... I listened to the other episodes of your show, by the way. You seem like you know what you're doing. <laughs> well, I'm glad it seems that way, at least. I feel bad for the family. If there's anything I can dig up, I'm gonna find it. If I hear anything else, I'll let you know. That'd be great. Doesn't just have to be this story. I'll bear that in mind. See you around, Sebastian.
The Night Shift Podcast is hosted by Sebastian Fenn, produced in Ecker City by Nocturne Studios. We'll soon be launching our crowdfund to complete Season 1, so if you're enjoying the show, please check out the link in the description and be sure to follow the project. You can also support us on a monthly basis on Patreon at patreon.com slash nightshiftpodcast. We would love for you to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Got a conspiracy to share with us? You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at nightshiftcast. Production coordinated and managed by Angie Gon and Ray Archer. Associate producers Ash Pendragon and Sasha Alexandra. Additional voices by Ash Pendragon, Angie Gon, Andrew Cyanes de la O, Eric Raymond, Juan Royal, Adriana Casador, Victor Valdeon, Ali Nesbitt, Chris Sack, Ian Lim, Jenny Higgs, Nate Dufort, Chase R, Ray Archer, Yvonne Pena, Jupiter Zadok, and Allegra Rodriguez Shivers. Special thanks to our executive producers, Sophia Johansson, Emily Hogarth, and Katie B. Opening theme by Pastiche. <laughs>